Psalm 100. This is a short one, and we have prepared Psalm 101 and 102. But if you look at, we try to, try to take it uh, verse by verse. If you notice the first verse says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. It says, Serve the Lord with gladness, come before His presence with singing. A joyful noise unto the Lord. A glad shout should come from all lands. By the way, that's not what happens today, is it? Many lands are atheistic. Many people in the lands are atheistic and unbelieving. And uh, Haggai mentions of the fact that one day the desire of nations shall come. Let me read in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet, one, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. When the desire of all nations comes, you know, what is the desire of nations anyway? Peace. And only when Jesus comes will there be that desire of nation, of all nations come, when the Prince of Peace comes. And there, there will be a time that all lands, that as this psalm says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And though they do not now, there will be a time that they will. Uh, the Lord reigns upon this earth and in the millennium. The Bible says that the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Look in verse 2, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Look at that. Come before His presence with singing. Joyful service should be rendered unto the Lord. The Bible says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. In Colossians 3, verse 23. So we should do our service heartily and joyfully. Serve the Lord with gladness. Have you ever seen anyone serve the Lord with, without gladness? If you're really serving the Lord, you should enjoy it. Serving God with gladness. And then it says, Come before His presence with singing. Singing with grace in our hearts pleases the Lord. It says in Colossians 3, verse 16, I want to read this one for you. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And listen, In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You know, you find giving thanks and thanksgiving more in the Bible than you ever imagined. All of these psalms that we've been studying, in fact, before we finish this one, there's a great deal about it that we're studying. But uh, thanksgiving in prayer... There's about five or six places consistently in Colossians, Philippians, Colossians, and uh, the Thessalonians. It says, and to give thanks always for all things in the name of the Father, or to the Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So thanksgiving is always comely and always proper. Look at verse uh, 3. It says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now think of this for a moment. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. We should remember His sovereignty. The Lord, or Jehovah, He is God. The Lord, He is Jehovah. It means that He is the Almighty, that He is the All-Powerful, that He is God in, in, in all extreme 
uh, language that we can use. The Lord, He is God in His sovereignty. In Isaiah 45, verse 22, it says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, I am the Lord, and there is none else. And we should remember His sovereignty, and also we should remember that He is our Creator. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. You know, men have tried to create a lot of things and make a lot of things, but they have never been able to make a human being. Or they interfere a lot, they do a lot of things, all the kinds of things are going on today, which most of it I don't approve of, but anyway, uh, they attempt, but they cannot really make or give life. God has created us. He's made this body that we have, this whole physical frame and all that's in it. And not only that, He didn't only make the body to function, but He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And He's different than all of animal creation in all of the rest of God's creation. It is He that has made us, so we should remember His, the fact that He is sovereign, that He is creator, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He's our great shepherd, isn't He? Remember that the psalmist said, and it's a famous, wonderful psalm that most of us uh, have memorized, and if not, we should. The Lord is my shepherd. He's our shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And he said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. <coughs> he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And he said, my father which gave them me is greater than all and no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So we are his people and people are compared to sheep. They're not compared to goats or, or uh, cows or uh, dogs or pigs. They're compared to sheep. God's people are sheep. That's another reason I believe in security. Remember over there, Peter was talking about uh, the dog turning to his own vomit again, the sow that was washed to a wallowing in the mire. Someone says, well, that proves you can be saved and then lost. No, it doesn't need such thing. The Lord says his people are what? Sheep. I never have seen where God referred to his own people that he had saved as dogs or pigs or hogs. Have you? So he referred to them as sheep. Now, sheep may get in the mud a little bit, but they don't like it there. And they'll get out pretty quick. But the old hog, they'll get in the mud and wallow there. Because a man that's a sinner, an outright sinner, and has never been saved and does not have the Spirit of God and the... And the uh, the Lord inside of his heart, he'll live in the dirt and the mud and the field. But you know, a Christian doesn't like that. He doesn't like it. And he won't stay there very long. So we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Look at verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Here we have it. Our gratitude should be expressed by thanks and praise. And into his courts with praise. Come into the house of the Lord. It says that we should... Uh, come into the house of the Lord with this kind of a attitude, this kind of a feeling, this kind of a spirit, and this kind of a praise. Thank, be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Our gratitude should be expressed. It says in Psalm 116, verse 17, I will offer to the Lord the sacrifice, I will offer the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Psalm 116, verse 17. Our gratitude sometimes is not expressed. You know, we live in a nation that has 
uh, so much abundance. We have plenty of things wrong with it, but we have a whole lot more that's right than we do wrong. And I'm glad to be in this country. I'm glad to have the freedoms that we have and the and all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us in spite of the wickedness that exists. And so uh, I wouldn't trade it for any other country in the world or any other nation or, or continent or place in the world. So we have much to be thankful for. We have our families to be thankful for. We have God's blessings to be thankful for. And we have our salvation through Jesus Christ, most of all, to be thankful for. And then it says... Uh, be thankful unto Him and bless His name. How many people do not show gratitude? Have you ever seen people that were ungrateful for everything? Never grateful or happy about anything? That's a, that, did you know that's the most uh, awful spirit to have is the sin of ingratitude? In fact, in the first chapter of Romans, when it's talking about people that turned away from God. It says God did all of these things for them. And it says, neither were they thankful. That's what the Lord pointed out about the ungrateful, uh, ungodly people that He was denouncing in Romans chapter 1. He says, neither were thankful. And so we find that uh, we should always be thankful. Uh, remember Jesus cleansed the, the uh, ten lepers. Ten came to Him. And he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, Jesus didn't cleanse them immediately. Did you notice that? He did not cleanse these lepers. He says, you go and show yourself to the priest. And so, as they went, it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. And all of a sudden, it dawned on them they were going to show themselves to the priest. And here we are clean. Well, the other nine, nine of them rushed off to, to get their approval, you know, right away. The priest's approval that they were certainly and uh, lawfully uh, cleansed. And one came back and gave Jesus thanks. And Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed? We might say that tonight. He says, where are the nine? You know, we have a lot of people that profess cleansing. And they'll take the blessings, but they don't show the gratitude. And Jesus said, where are the nine? Okay, let's go to the last verse here. It says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Look at this one. The Lord is a fountain of all good. We should praise Him because of all of His attributes. There is good and there is evil. And God is absolutely, totally good. His goodness excels everything that we know anything about being good. And evil is the opposite of that. You know there's always an opposite. And His mercy is everlasting. It's not only multiplied, but it's everlasting. It has always been. And it will always be. And His truth endureth to all generations. So here the psalmist is pointing out that we should praise Him for all of His uh, attributes of goodness and mercy and truth. Think of these th three things. I have underlined and circled good, good, and then mercy. And then truth. Three things. What about His mercy extended to us? When we have sinned, the psalmist David, he had sinned tremendously before God. And he said, Have mercy upon me, O God. That's Psalm 51, verse 1, I believe. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness. Now listen. According to the multitude 
of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. He didn't say just one mercy or just mercies, but the multitude, and he didn't, and he classified them as tender mercies. You know, you can imagine being merciful to someone in a certain having sympathy and compassion upon someone. But when you do it with tenderness or love behind it, and he says, the multitude of thy tender mercies. I think I told you before about a, an old gentleman I used to ride horseback with up in the mountains. We'd come to the stream, and you know most of the fellows sit there on the top of that saddle and give the horse the head a little bit and let him stick his head down there in a minute get a little sip of water or a drink of water and sometimes even before they're through drinking they'll jerk them up and take off. I've seen that happen too. Think you've had enough, you know. Why not let him drink enough? But anyway, on the other hand, this man, we'd go up to a stream of water and he'd, we'd step off, which I always did step off the horse and let him go and give him his head. But he'd step off and he'd take the, the bits out of his mouth and put them under his neck there and then give him his head and let him drink without those bits in his mouth. To me, that's tender mercies. That's compassion. That's caring. And see, God not only lets us have what we need and does it uh, with mercy, but He does it with tender mercy. And I believe that we should have the same attitude when we're showing mercy. Uh, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So if you're thinking about obtaining mercy, how would you like to have mercy extended to you? Do you want it in such a way that there's no love or compassion in it? Just the matter of fact, well, you know, I'll help them or I'll be merciful to them, but without any compassion or love or care. Okay, Psalm 101, David's resolution. By the way, we didn't deal with truth there. The truth of God in that last verse is truth endureth to all generations. His word is truth. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so the word of God's truth should be uh, foremost in our minds and hearts. And he says, He that worships the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. We can't come to God with falsehood in worship. You have to be exactly truthful with God. You cannot come to the Lord and hide sin and conceal anything from God. And we have to worship Him on the basis of the truth of His Word as well. Look at Psalm 101, if you will. This psalm has nine I wills and five shalls. And it's a psalm of resolution. David's resolution. What did he resolve to do? First of all, he resolved to sing about something. And what was it? I will sing of mercy and judgment. Psalm 101, look at that. I will. You ever resolve to do anything? Well, if you resolve to do it, you carry it out. He says, I will sing of mercy and judgment. He chose two great subjects to sing of, mercy and judgment. And then he says, unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. He resolved to sing to God. Unto thee. In Psalm 189, verse 1, it says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. There's so much in all the Psalms about mercy and about thanksgiving. Then in verse 2, notice what it says. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. We ought to learn how to behave ourselves. Paul told Timothy that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In the presence of God, 
and that's what we're speaking of. He resolved to practice righteousness. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. <coughs> wisely, according to the wisdom of God, according to the wisdom of God's Word, and in a perfect way, in a complete, mature fashion. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? He asked the question. He says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. He resolved to sit to uh, practice the righteousness that he was willing to give and tell his son Solomon to practice. Remember David. This is a psalm of David. And before David died, he brought Solomon in to his deathbed. And he said to Solomon, Solomon, show thyself a man and keep the charge of the Lord. He let him know that the most important thing was to serve God. He could have said, Solomon... Here's the kingdom, and it's going to, you're going to be rich, and you're going to have the, you're going to sit on the throne, and he could have given him all kinds of, of uh, political advice, and advice as to how to handle the kingdom. But he had one last word. If he took care of this, the rest would take care of itself. He says, "Son, he said, show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord." And so when Solomon did this, he began to pray as a young. A king after David's death and he said God I'm, I'm but a child and you made me king over this great people and he says I'm just but a child and he says just give me wisdom that I may be able to, to rule over this so great a people as your people and God gave him wisdom and Solomon was wiser than all men except Jesus show thyself a man and keep the charge of the Lord so David uh, had uh, purpose to live wisely. I, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? He says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. And so in his house, he taught his son and he gave instructions before his death to Solomon. And Solomon, uh, as long as he followed David's advice, was doing all right. The only sad thing about Solomon he gave the advice and he knew what was right, but in the end he let all of his wives and concubines cause him to turn away from God and serve idols. And he ended up corrupt. He let them corrupt him. In the blaze of his glory, he let these influences bring him down. You see, it does make a difference how you end up. It's not altogether how you start, it's how you finish Paul says, I've fought a good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. And he says, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. So, to uh, have the knowledge, to have the wisdom to do right and then not do it. Then he says in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. He resolved to set... To not to set his heart upon wicked, any wickedness or any wicked thing. The Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, where do we are to set our heart? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And it says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 
I want you to notice in quoting those few verses, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, I believe it is, that he's, it's kind of paradoxical. So, notice again. How many times you're dead and you're alive, you're risen. If, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead. Well, if you're dead, how is it you're alive? And your life, your life, is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. You study that out. And it's a wonderful thought. Uh, he says, I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. He resolved to hate evil. Do you have a resolve against sin and evil? I hate the work, not only the, uh, uh, the sin and evil in your own life, but others. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. He, he didn't want to be contaminated by other people's actions. You know, young people nowadays are ha- have a great problem. The young boys or girls will say, well, it won't harm to do this. You just follow this, and they'll tempt you with one thing or another. Try to get you to take drugs or alcohol. First thing you know, you're in a bad shape. Uh, Randy took one to the doctor, I think, this morning from up in the care center. And I see him up there. Some of you may know him. And the poor guy's uh, been affected by his alcohol and drugs. And as a result, he just, I can tell you some things are very displeasing that he, his actions. And I were talking this morning about him being set in a certain mode, and I guess they threw threw away the remedy, threw away the thing after he got programmed to do this, stick his tongue out at everybody, and push and say, "Back off!" And a few more, there, a few one or two more special things that he did, and he does. I go up to care center almost, well, at least twice a week. I was up there today. And I see him doing that to everybody, and it, it's so ugly. But he seems to not know any better because of what? Drugs and alcohol. If you don't think it'll affect your life, you just get into it. And it'll ruin your life in more ways than one. So he resolved here not to be turned aside. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Look in verse 4. A forward heart shall... Uh, depart from me, I will not know a wicked person. He wanted to, he not only resolved to hate evil, but he resolved to be careful about his associates. Look at that. I will not know a wicked person. I'm going to keep separated. I'm going to have my associates different than wicked people. You've heard the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. And you are just what you run around with. Brother Jim used to like me to tell about the alcoholic. My dad told me this. He said it was in the late November, as well as I remember, I was walking down the streets in modern pride when my heart began to flutter and I lay down in the gutter and a pig came up and lay down by my side. He says, as I lay there in the gutter with my heart all in a flutter, a lady passing by was heard to say, you can tell the man that boozes by the company he chooses. And the pig got up and slowly walked away. So that's company you keep, isn't it? 
So we need to be careful about our associates and who we associate with. And if you run around with the wrong crowd, you're going to end up doing things that you should not do. And uh, you know, a lot of times we use this as an excuse. Say, well, you know, I'll run around with them and I'll win them over to the Lord. I'll win them over to the Christian way. I'll win them, win them over to doing right. But you see, you've already got a couple of strikes against you before you start. And one of them is that you're a human being and subject to the same uh, allurements that they are. And another thing, you've still got that old carnal nature. And they do, and, and the, really the basic thing is that, you, that uh, they have not the Holy Spirit and they have not the Lord. So you've only got that going for you and they've got the other things that still exist in you. See, the carnality still exists in you. And the, the, uh, the uh, fact that you can be lured away to sin. And so if you go out and you're associating with people that do certain things that are wrong and sinful, they've got something that appeals to you and you don't have much that appeals to them until they are born again. They have the Holy Spirit of God. So don't go out there unprepared. So he's careful about his associates. You know, the Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 6, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So we're to come out from among them and be separate. Separation in the Christian service is, is what God calls for. And you know, you and I think, well, you know, I don't want... It, it doesn't mean isolation, it means separation. Separation is not isolation. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus said, I pray not that thou wouldest take them out of the world, but that thou wouldest keep them from the evil. John chapter 17. Alright, let's go back to this. In verse uh, 5 it says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. He resolved to punish the ones who resorted to slander. You and I today, we're so uh, liberal in our thinking too many times that we feel like that there shouldn't be any judgment against uh, the wickedness and the sin that's in the world. But we certainly should. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Uh, David says, we're not going to put up with this. He resolved to punish the ones who resorted to slander. In the book of Proverbs chapter 6, it says in verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate. Listen. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to Him. Now, what does God hate? He says a proud look and a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. That's three. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift to running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. Now listen, here's the seventh. And he that soweth discord among brethren. He that soweth discord among brethren. So, back here when we're talking about uh, this in verse 5, notice what he says. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. A man that's sowing discord, him that hath an high look and a proud heart, will I not suffer. Now then, in verse 6, Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. <coughs> so, he resolves to promote and reward those who are worthy. 
And if David did that, the Lord will do that too. Notice that. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. What's the Lord going to say if we're faithful? He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's exactly what we need to be. That they may dwell with me, look at the blessing, the reward. And it says, he that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. <coughs> so you not only uh, pro, uh, uh, rewarded, but you also have the privilege of service. And then in verse Excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 7. <clears throat> he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. Notice what he said here. He that worketh deceit. He, David was not going to tolerate deceit in those who told lies. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. <clears throat> Are you resolved not to <clears throat> tolerate those who use deceit or tell lies? We should be just as determined about these principles as David was. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. You should be very determined. He, sh he that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Well, we have people around us every day, Randy and I run across people, and you can just tell what they're telling just cannot be true. <laughs> you know, it's just absolutely probably not so. <laughs> and uh, Randy and I, when... We, we run across this every day. <clears throat> Some people say, well, they just put it on the top shelf. Well, maybe they did, but they, they had more shelves than I could reach, I'll tell you for sure, when they start putting it that high up. And then it says, <clears throat> in verse 8, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land. Judgment was to be, he resolved to punish the wicked that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Psalm 9, verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell in all nations that forget God. In uh, Psalm 75, verse 10, it says, All the horns of the wicked, horns speak of power, all the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns, the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. That means the power of the righteous. <clears throat> well, I don't know how much time we'll have to get into Psalm 102, but I want to give you a little bit of it. It's the <clears throat> this is the prayer of the afflicted saint. Now look at it, <clears throat> and we'll get the first portion of it at least. And by the way, in this psalm, you'll find that there are certain uh, aspects of it. In fact, if we had time to deal with it on two different in two different ways, if we had time to deal with it on the basis of how it reflects the person of Christ. Because we know that within this psalm, and especially the last several verses, there are things that are said of God the Father to His Son, and yet we want to talk about the afflictions of the psalmist himself and how they apply to us, as well as how that many of these afflictions applied to Jesus. If you look at the first verse, it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. And here is a plea to be heard. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. So this is a ple uh, plea to be heard. And why the prayer? First of all, in verse 3, he says, For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned uh, as an hearth. Why a prayer? Because his life was short. You and I should pray because life is very short. 
My bones are, uh, my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as an hearth. His body was in pain. And as I say, this applied to the psalmist. It applies to you and I occasionally. And it certainly applied to Jesus when his body was in pain. Job of old says, My skin is black upon me, and my bones are burned with heat. We find that the shortness of life is spoken of in the New Testament. James says, For uh, what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears at a little time and then vanisheth away. Verse 4 says, My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat eat, uh, my bread. His heart was filled with sorrow. Sometimes your heart and mine is filled with sorrow. Sorrows have compassed us about. Jesus said sorrows had compassed him about in the psalm. And also in the New Testament, Jesus said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death in Gethsemane. So all these things apply to the psalmist. They apply to you and I when we're in such conditions. And they apply to Jesus. Because whatever things that we've endured in the way of suffering, in the way of of the effects and call, uh, of the curse, Jesus has endured all of these things. He says, My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. Verse 5, By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleaving to my skin. The voice of his groaning. He was uh, weak. His voice was getting weaker. Remember when he started out, he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. And now he says, by reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. So sometimes we pray, and then we pray, and then we get weaker and weaker. And Paul said for us to pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And so sometimes we get very weak in our praying. And then his spirit was low. Look at this. It says, I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. These are emblems of gloom and wretchedness. You know, Elijah got real low at one time. Remember under the juniper tree, and Elijah says, Lord, I wish that I would, you know, I just wish you'd take my life from me. Do you ever get that disease? Say, you know, things are so bad, I just wish, you know, that's pretty far-fetched, isn't it? But a lot of people actually get so down, let's not get that low. He says, I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. His friends had forsaken him. He thought he was all by himself. But you know, others have experienced these things and still came through. Remember Paul, he said, uh, In my first answer, no man stood with me. Then he says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So sometimes your friends will just vanish away when you're in trouble. A friend that will stick with you when you're in trouble is a true friend indeed. But you have these fair weather friends. Remember, the, the prodigal son had these fair weather friends. Well, when he went out from the father's house and had all of his inheritance, he wasted his substance with righteous living. Righteous living means there has to be more than one person around you. We don't know what all he had. The old elder brother said he'd spend his uh, inheritance with harlots. We know he was with the wrong crowd. The far country is a bad place to be. And it says, and when he had spent all, no telling, they just drank and boozed it up and spent it into wild and riotous living. And the first thing you know, when he had spent all he had, he was sent out to feed the hogs. And he would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And the Bible says, no man gave him to him. Lost all of his friends, didn't he? So it makes a difference, doesn't it? You 
when you got a lot, you got friends that'll stick by you. And then sometimes they all just go to the four winds. But anyway, he was smart enough to say, I know what I'm going to do. He says, in my father's house, there's bread and enough to spare. There's plenty. And he says, and I perish with hunger. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I will arise and go to my father. You know, a lot of people have said, I will arise, and they just don't arise. And he says, I will go to my father, and I will say unto my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And so he went back home, started on the way. By the way, he followed through with it, didn't he? A lot of people have good intentions, but they never do it. Say, well, I know what I need. I need the Lord. I need to return to God. And I need the church. And I need to get right. But they never do it. But this prodigal not only said it, but he did it. That's, that, that's all the difference in the outcome. And so he arose and went to his father. And the Bible says when he was a, yet a great way off. A great way off. You know, God saw us when we were a great way off. And he said, when he was yet a great way off, his father ran, fell upon his neck and kissed him. And he started in with his repentant words. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and thee, against thee, and no more worthy to be called thy son. And he was going to say, Make me as one of thy hired servants. And, and the father interrupted, and he says, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him. Bring forth, put shoes on his feet, and a ring on his hand, a ring of authority, shoes of respectability, the best robe of righteousness. And then he says, And let's kill the fatted calf. And he says, Let's. Eat and drink and be merry. Eat and be merry. And it says they began. By the way, that was the only beginning of that merriment. So, it says here, I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. He felt deserted of his friends. We'll have to uh, stop right there with verse 7. We'll pick it up and get into the 103rd Psalm, as Lord willing, in our next uh, lesson.